You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Locked On Indians. I'm your host, Jeff Ellis. And as I've been reminded recently, uh, every podcast could be someone's first podcast. So if you didn't, if you aren't familiar with me, I should say, uh, before being the host of Locked on Indians, I used to write, I started out at Indians Baseball Insider, wrote for MLB Draft Prospects. Uh, But the big ones are, I was the prospect and draft analyst for Scout.com and 24-7 Sports. So that's my bona fides as they were. I'm just someone who in general loves baseball, uh, loves to dig down the rabbit hole and explore in general. Uh, we'll have more of that soon, but uh, in the coming days, we should have a decent amount of news. Uh, we're going to talk about on the show today uh, the Carlos Santana situation. Take some time, give some love to the man, the myth, the legend, the royal. I know it's hard to say even now. We're also going to spend some time uh, on Friday. We're going to talk uh, Rule 5. That draft is Thursday. There is a decent chance the Indians take someone. They have three open roster spots. They have not been shy about doing it in the past. There's a lot of interesting players. Uh, Omar Estevez comes to mind. We'll talk about him a bit in later on in the show as well. And why he could be someone that could intrigue the Indians. I don't think the Indians are going to lose anyone. For all the other talk um, out there, it's like the big names for the Indians and Will Benson is the big name, the former first-round pick. But the other guys, Oviedo and Fermin, were both uh, available a year ago and without the minor leagues, and I do not think either of them were at the altern- uh, alternate site. It, there's really just no reason to draft them, to take them. You don't have any additional data at this point in time going forward. Before we get into Carlos Santana, though, and before we get into Omar Estevez, let's, let's check the news. Let's see what is going on. We have a Minor old friend alert, uh, Dominic Leone signed with the Giants to a minor league deal. They announced several players that were signed. Uh, in terms of news, it certainly seems like James McCann is going to be joining the Mets soon. And it makes sense. They're a team that could use catching. And it is, I mean, he's probably the number one guy after Real Muto on the market. I'll be curious to see how much he can get. Uh, I still think the White Sox kind of blew it not trading him. It's so hard to find catching, and he is just sitting right there. Had such a good year for them, and I know he was useful, but man, he is gone now. He is, uh, again, makes sense to sign with the Mets. And uh, so I recorded next week's video podcast a little bit early, and if you're listening now, you'll know that uh, just how early, but I was talking with that host uh, today. I'll reveal that more next week. Uh, It's one that a lot of people I think are going to enjoy who have enjoyed my content over the years but we were commenting about the sheer number of players signing over in korea and japan right now and we have some more of those preston tucker older brother of uh, kyle tucker signed for a million dollars guaranteed uh over in korea david buchanan it was someone who there was some thought could come back uh he's saying over there mel rojas jr who i talked about as possible target for the indians is uh he agreed to a uh, one year, five, or maybe not one year, but he agreed to a $5 million deal in Japan. So he left Korea to go to Japan. He was not going to get $5 million for next year in the United States, but it also shows, that's right, Japan is offering guys more money than they could get playing Major League Baseball. It's a real odd thing to think about, but that's exactly what happened. We're seeing guys sign 
over there, uh, kind of at rates we've never really seen before and getting enough money that it's it's really interesting. So Rojas is getting five years, $2 million, with a chance to get another 500000 of incentives. I think that is more than he would have gotten, and he is 30 years old. So, I mean, that, that could be the end of uh, his chances as being a, a major league player at the age of 32 with already declining. I mean, he's currently 30. He'll be 32 when that contract expires. With declining defense, it's uh, a hard situation. I do apologize if you notice a jump in volume. I was getting very low reading, so I did increase the volume there. Um, again, a- apology uh, about any issues that previously occurred. Now it is time, though, for for personally for me a a sad thing, and that's let's do some Carlos Santana appreciation time. Uh, he got, in my opinion, a shockingly large amount of money. Uh, I had talked about him maybe getting a non-roster invitee or being a, you know, a three, four million dollar guy. Uh, he got significantly more than that. And I was down on him because I've talked about CJ Cron has been effective all these years in a row and he's lucky to get, you know, one year, six million and he's younger. Carlos Santana got 17.5 over two. So he got almost nine million a year. Uh, he's got several escalators in his contract. Uh, that could raise it even higher based on performance. They, the Royals, must have loved him. Uh, he, he was not particularly great last year, uh, but first basemen typically don't go off the market this quickly, and that's why you know I think they got that offer and they ran with it, and uh, that is. Carlos Santana's gone. I mean, he was, again, you go back to our Zips discussion on Monday, he was projected to have the third best WRC plus on the team. He was going to be their third best hitter, and he's gone. Uh, that's that's a blow. And what, you know, we can talk about moving Naylor to first, but then that opens up your outfield. Things have to be figured out. It, You know, I read a, a Zach uh, Meisel piece that was interesting about that. Daniel Johnson's going to get a chance this year. I don't know why he didn't get it last year. I don't know why they were running out uh, the also-rans instead, but it sounds like I thought they would try to bring back the Shields. They might be done, that they're going to finally see what they have in some of these young players, and, you know, Yu Chen Chang might get a chance at one of those infield spots. It sounds like Daniel Johnson's at least going to get a platoon chance. Uh, Franmil Reyes wants to play in the outfield. He does not like being a DH. Now, he's got to show that he can get in shape to do that. That was part of the reasons he was stuck at DH this year. So we'll see. They have some options. All of a sudden, if Franmil can play outfield, if Daniel Johnson can get a shot in center, Luplo, strict platoon guy, but Luplo Naylor could work there. You still need a first baseman in DH. But uh, I think at some point they're also counting on Nolan Jones, you know, if someone fails. And, I, again, I think essentially you're going to see Josh Naylor at first. You're going to see the Daniel Johnson, Naquin Platoon, and Mercado getting that chance in center field to show that last year was the aberration. Now, you know, heading into the uh, the 2020 season, I warned that he had been extremely inconsistent and that I had concerns. And even with my concerns, I did not expect it to be as bad as it was. But we'll have to see what happens with Mercado. There's not a lot of great center field options in the system. There's not just there's not a lot of great outfield options. I would really, really love to see Kaye Tom get a look. I'm just gonna keep saying that. He has so many people who love him. He there are so many he is the classic player who overperforms when given an opportunity because, you know, he doesn't have the eye popping physical skills. He is undersized. He is the guy that there are all the reasons why he shouldn't work, so he doesn't get a chance. 
And then when he finally gets a chance and performs, you're like, oh, where did he come from? It's like, well, he's always done this. So I would love to see that opportunity come. He could also end up not being anything more than a quad A guy. I mean, I'll be perfectly honest. I'm not saying he's going to be great, but I'm saying the profile is there of the type of guy that sometimes we see become more than, uh, you know, some of his parts. So I promise Carlos Santana Appreciation Hour, and we will get to that in a moment. Carlos Santana, first in my heart. Uh, I've been a fan of his for so long, and he's had so many detractors during his time in Cleveland. So many haters. Let's just talk about Carlos Santana's place in Indians history. If he had a full season this year, you know, it, it'd been interesting to see where he'd end up. He's currently 18th all-time in uh, Indians war, nestled between Ray Chapman and Manny Ramirez. He is 0.3 tenths of a win behind, I'm sorry, 0.5 tenths behind Ramirez. Uh, 30.2 for Omar Vizcal. Like, in a full season, so if I just open his name, just... Oh, don't do that. It completely. So he got a point six this year in, uh, what, 200 at-bats? So if you, which at-bats are a really bad way to judge a Carlos Santana season with as much as he walked. So that's in 60 games. So if you assume that he's going to get another point six and then maybe half of that, would that be, you know, about 150 games? That seems fair. So he got a point six. So if you assumed a point nine for the entire year, for instance, that would get him up to a uh, a 30.4, right? And I do my math right. That would have put him 15th all-time, passing Omar and Trotsky. Uh, or not, not Trotsky. Trotsky. I always butcher that name. Sorry. But still, even without you know the shortened season and the, the craziness that it was, 18th all-time ahead of Ray Chapman. Uh, Bobby Avila, Jose Ramirez will probably eventually pass him, let's be honest. Francisco Lindor, Grady Sizemore, Albert Bell, some names in there. Offensive War, 14th all-time. He uh, is nestled between Albert Bell and Al Rosen. Full season, he was 0.5 a win behind Rosen. He might have been able to get up to being behind Trotsky, uh, but seems less likely. Now, Defensive War, probably not the biggest surprise to people that he... uh, didn't rank there. That was not exactly what he was known for uh, during his time in Cleveland. So let's go to his next category where he ranks on base percentage. He is tied for 35th all time in on base percentage with Dale Mitchell, uh, a point behind Albert Bell and Victor Martinez, which somehow feels appropriate to be right near Victor. How about in? So he got on base. He's one of the top. 40 guys in terms of on base. What about his power? 38th all time, 0.45, tied with Ryan Garko of all people. Yes, that's right. Ryan Garko behind him, Carlos Baerga, Corey Snyder, Travis Ryman, uh, a tenth of a point behind uh, Casey Blake. I mean, basically, you could, a lot of people are kind of chunked in this group here Casey Blake, Nap Lashaway, Andre Thornton, George Burns, uh, Rico Carte are all within 0.5 of this ranking. All-time OPS, he is 30th between Joe Sewell and Joe Gordon at 818. Again, you know, one of the top 30 hitters by that metric in Indians history. He is, how about games played? Just suiting up for the Indians. Where is he? 14th all-time behind Steve O'Neill and ahead of Kenny Lofton. 
who suited up more times as an Indian, Jim Tomey, Jack Graney, Omar Vizcal, Charlie Jameson, Earl Avrell, Joe Sewell, Ken Kelter, Tris Speaker, Jim Hegan, Lou Boudreau, Nap Lajouet, and Terry Turner. At-bats, 11th all-time between Lofton and Jim Tomey. Plate appearances, 12th all-time between Lofton and Jack Graney. Runs scored, 13th all-time between Ken Keltner and Jack Graney. And if you're curious, like in a full season of at-bats, he would have probably moved into top 10 all-time. He undoubtedly would have moved in the top 10 all-time. Uh, plate appearances, he would have moved up. Runs scored, uh, again, he probably would have moved closer. I don't think he would have gotten into the top 10, though. Hits, all-time 18th. Between Larry Doby and Michael Brantley, a full season, he, he would have probably passed Doby there. Total bases, 13th all-time. Uh, between Kenny Lofton and Manny Ramirez, he was he is three behind Lofton, so he undoubtedly would have moved up in total bases. And there's a good chance in a full season he moves in the top ten all time in little total bases, passing Larry Doby and Omar Vizcal. And when you look at that list in general, like your top three: Earl Avril, Tris Speaker, Nap Lashway, definitely different eras. Uh, Tommy is in the top ten, but he's and Omar is as well. But those are the ones who uh, a played more games than Santana, and b are really kind of your modern ones. He is 10th in doubles between Trotsky and Tomey. He would have had a chance to move up a little bit higher uh, in a full season. Not there in triples. I am sure people are shocked uh, by that. And please notice the joking home runs. Fifth all-time tied. Uh, Tied with Trotsky behind Avril, Ramirez, Bell, and Tomey. Uh, in a complete season, he might have moved up to fourth. He is 10 behind Avral. And yes, I'm going to keep just talking about all these things. 14th and runs batted in between Rosen and Hafner. Uh, ba- walks, second all-time. Strikeouts, second all-time. Behind uh, Tomey in both of those categories. And I could just keep going and going and going. There are over on Baseball Reference historically... 44 categories and Santana is in 36 of them and that's why I think it's important to take a moment and just recognize how good of a player he was that for as much as everyone still kind of loves Victor Martinez Carlos Santana had a bigger impact with the Indians yes he played there longer but his skill set was exceptional and he is now with the Royals and again that stinks but uh, yeah, I am thankful that we got to have him come back for another two years. It was always likely going to be two years just because of his uh, contract option. And again, good on him. He got over two years instead of one. But you know, when you look at it, he essentially got the money he was supposed to get uh, on his option year. But now it's spread out over two years. And uh, and I think one thing's really clear, just going through all of this, that uh, I don't remember. I'll have to go back and listen to that uh, first base, uh, greatest Indians, first baseman of all time. I know I talked about him in that because we talked about how close he was to passing several players. But to revisit that and really think about, he has to be either first, second, or third when you're coming together and and making an Indians first base lit. Well, okay, so obviously it's Tomi is first, and, you know, that made that an easy thing. But he is, you know, looking at someone like probably Trotsky, Trot, 
Trotsky, Trotsky, man, I cannot pronounce his name. Uh, and that's one of the negative reviews on iTunes is my struggle with that pronunciation. But he's probably second. So earlier in the week, I talked about the fact that uh, Devin Mackey is a listener who had emailed me about some Rule 5 stuff. At the start of the show, I had also promised to talk some Rule 5, specifically about Omar Estevez. Now, Omar Estevez, in most places, is the top bat in this draft. He had like 290 and about 90 games and 300 at-bats in Double A in 2019. One of those players, because the Dodgers have a deep system, he's exposed. He's mostly second baseman, but he's played some short and some third He's probably off the board by the time the Indians select. But if he's not, I think he is a very easy selection by the Cleveland Indians personally. But Devin asks about two other players, and then he asks about losing Kaye Tom. We've already talked about Tom on the podcast today. I don't think they'll lose Kaye Tom because uh, there are so many outfielders currently out there on the market. And Tom, while he can handle all three spots, uh, you don't often see a ton of outfielders selected in the Rule 5. When you do, it's often more the younger guys. And again, Tom didn't get taken last year when his stock was at its zenith, so I have a hard time seeing him get selected now. But we shall see. He specifically asks about Jose Rojas and Drew Ferguson. And then he asked me about Ferguson specifically um, because he had been outrighted before and some of the things that happened with that. Now, I'm not 100% sure. I have to be honest there that if the Indians drafted Drew Ferguson, that he could be outrighted. If they designate him for assignment, they don't have to offer him back, essentially. And that might be the case, but I, and it feels like it should be the case, but uh, I will I will admit that I'm not 100% sure. But Ferguson's an interesting guy. He was a, played at Belmont, draft, uh, drafted as a senior, and you know, he was great at Belmont. And then through the minors, he's been one of those guys who has been productive. 845 OPS, 293 batting, 394 on base, 452 slugging. He has had a little bit of pop. I mean, 2016 was really the last time he had kind of a year that was an outlier. Uh, But good doubles numbers. Even when you look at something like 2018, where he was mostly in AAA, 304, 436, 429 line. And then 2019 in... Round Rock, all in AAA, 115 games, 483 plate appearances, 281, 395, 440, 836. Yeah, I mean, he has played, I believe, all three outfield spots. Uh, He has performed well in the minors. 19th round pick and a senior sign. So there's a lot of reasons to discount what he has done and why teams maybe haven't given him that opportunity. But when you're looking at him as just a player... He's performed well. He's earned that opportunity up here with the Cleveland Indians. Why not try him out? Through his minor league career, he has played, uh, I mean, 166 games in center, 121 in right, 111. I'm sorry, 121 in left, 111 in right. So, yeah, he's uh, he's played all over. He's shown that he can play in those spots. I think he's an interesting name. I think that's a, a good call there just because he does give you depth. He has performed in the minors. He just has not had that extended time in the majors. And right now, I mean, the Indians don't have uh, a lot of great options, let's be honest, in terms of their outfield. And as we talked about earlier on the show, just in terms of outfield depth. So why not a Drew Ferguson since he's available and he has that type of production in the minors? If there's a concern there, it's, you know, he was taken back in 2018, after the 2018 season. Uh, as a Rule 5 eligible. So he's had three years there. He was returned by the Giants. 
So the question is, why hasn't he gotten that opportunity? Why has he not uh, found a spot for himself yet? I don't know. And that's really the only concern or question, because clearly, I mean, he has done everything he can as a late round pick. He has moved steadily through the minors and been productive at each and every single level. So good call, Devin. 100% on board there. And they asked about Jose Rojas, who is with the Los Angeles Angels and was a guy I thought could get taken last year. Uh, interesting bat. Let's put it that way. So let's talk about that 2019 numbers. We're at 293 with 39 doubles and 31 home runs, 58 walks, 131 strikeouts, 293, 362, 577. Big power numbers. That was the thing. That's why I was kind of intrigued by him. Like I said, at the end of last season, no one, no one took the chance. Year before that, he had hit uh, 24 doubles, 17 homers, 289, 355. 501. So highly productive. Now he is doing that in Salt Lake, which is a very hitter friendly environment. I think that's part of the reason that he did not get taken uh, in last year's draft. And the other one being position. Uh, There are 200 games and he's mostly played third in the minors, 70 games at second, but a lot of people look at him as more of a first baseman going forward. And that limits the value. Another interesting guy. Like, honestly, with both of them, I would be... Or if you go back and talk about uh, Omar Estevez, who I talked about, I'd be fine with the Indians grabbing any of these three guys. Uh, it's $50,000. It should not be a big deal. Like, if we are to the point uh, with the Indians organization where fifty k is too big of an investment and the ownership is in massive trouble, there's three open spots. Roll the dice. Why not? It, it costs you fifty k. And then if he, that player doesn't make the team, you can sometimes work out another deal or you get 5K back when the other team uh, re- accepts the return. So I, I see no reason for the Indians not to. Uh, on tomorrow's show, we will talk about the Rule 5 results. So that's going to be the entire focus of tomorrow's show. Uh, if you want more Rule 5, I, I would say check out the Locked On uh, Prospects and the Locked On MLB show. I'm sure they will both touch on it. I'm sure the Prospects one in particular will spend some time on the draft as well. It's going to be interesting. Uh, Final feel is the Indians won't lose anyone, and I don't think they'll select anyone either, if I'm being honest, but I think they should. Uh, I've been Jeff Ellis. This has been the Locked On Indians podcast. Remember to listen daily, rate and review, all that fun stuff. It really helps out. You can find me on Twitter at JeffMLBDraft, and as always, go Tribe!